This is Mac DeMarco. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Hello, and welcome to the 1982 show on Best Frequencies Forever, BFF.FM. I'm your host, Phil Ventura, and that was, of course, Halloween by Susie and the Banshees. It is Halloween, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Gregory Kaplowitz. Hello. Welcome, Gregory. <laughs> um, so you've prepared a Halloween playlist for us today. Uh, yes. As best as my, um, my abilities. <laughs> I'm fully trusting in your abilities. Let's get into the music and then we'll start talking about, you know, how you went about choosing all this great stuff. Okay. So what's the first track we're listening to? Uh, it is Temple Bar by CTI, uh, which is also known as Conspiracy International. Uh, it's an alias for... Chris and Cozy. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, well, it's Chris and Cozy's kind of early side project when they would usually collaborate with other people. Okay. And Chris and Cozy, who were uh, from Throbbing Gristle, who recently left Throbbing Gristle at the time. Well, I'm going to have you come over here and cue it up because my gloved fingers, I am currently dressed as a cat, and my gloved fingers are not working on your laptop. <laughs> so if you'd go ahead and start that up for me.
Thank you.
That was Wendy Carlos with Rocky Mountains from The Shining original motion picture soundtrack. Before that, the main title for The Shining, and it all started off with Element, wait, no, C, Temple Bar. Yes. <laughs> yes. By CTI. Yes. Okay, so you mentioned CTI's Chris and Cozy. What made you, I mean, Chris and Cozy doesn't strike me as particularly dark. However, that track was rather goth. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, ambient synth goth. Yeah. Well, they're kind of super occultish, right? I mean, they were, well, they weren't in Psychic TV. No, well, I mean, uh, they were all part of Throbbing Gristle and then split off between Chris and Cozy and Psychic TV. They're like dark adjacent. Yeah. And then talk to us about Wendy Carlos. What made you choose her? Just the horror soundtrack element? I mean, that was uh, the initial. I mean, obviously, The Shining is an amazing movie that I'm obsessed about. One of the greatest horror movies of all time. Yeah. Um, But Wendy Carlos herself is just an amazing, iconic figure of electronic music. And it just happened to be that she made those two great um, tracks for The Shining that fit within the parameters of the show <laughs> yeah i mean it kind of defines i think the whole ambience of the film like that's what i think of when i think of the movie as far as sound you know yeah um the two tracks that were actually those are the two tracks that are in the movie mm-hmm. and it's the opening titles and then uh when the family's driving up the road to the hotel in the beginning right but she was actually commissioned to do an entire soundtrack that eventually got released uh, maybe like 10 years ago. Um, and, but Kubrick ended up only using those two tracks hmm. because he ended up using the music he was uh, using in the, uh, the draft edits of the movie. Okay. Ended up using those instead. Interesting. And that's my little shining trivia. <laughs> <laughs> so up next we have um, one of the most, I don't know, I mean, it's the goth song. Yeah, it's kind of like the defining goth song from the defining goth band. I mean, and (laughs) I'm not sure about this, but it could be the song that started goth. Maybe. I mean, I have a theory that Iggy Pop's The Idiot was the proto-goth beginning of the movement. Yes. Uh, There was definitely stuff before that. But I I mean, this is like completely goth. There's no other like genre mixed in there this is like pure (laughs) yeah even though it is they always had all sorts of different well it's post-punk also yeah post-punk and kind of they always had a glam element to their work like david bowie and right um and little hints of dub who of course was responsible for the idiot baggy pop have we even said what it is yet it's bella lugosi's dead by bauhaus (laughs) if you hadn't guessed And I believe I mentioned that last week. I knew that would be the one track that was going to be played. You assured me. Yeah, it seemed like an obvious choice for today. Yeah. Well, let's listen to it and uh, some other things to follow. Thank you. 
that was Joy Division with Isolation, before that Heart and Soul, and the set started off with Bela Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus. Joy Division, another band inspired by The Idiot, or so I've read. Um, I didn't know that, actually. That's just what Wikipedia says. Who knows if it's true? So, so The Idiot is ground zero for... It kind of is. Right on. I mean, it makes sense, because David Bowie was enormously influential at this time, you know? I mean... I feel like almost every new wave, post-punk, synth band in the late 70s, early 80s was paying attention to what he was doing. And he was, like, very involved. You know, he would go to the clubs. He was up on what people were doing. He would help out artists he was interested in. I don't know. He had, like, a, a massive influence, I feel like, at that time. So it's not surprising that when he collaborated with Iggy Pop on his first album and did like such a change in tone for Iggy for Iggy you know that it would be influential I mean it's an amazing album too yeah Craig when did you start looking listening to dark music how old were you (laughs) um oh god I was definitely a teenager Um, because I remember now I'm not much younger than you a little bit younger and I'm I'm definitely not as cool like you were listening to cool music a lot earlier than I was so, like, as a teenager, I remember I listened... Nine Inch Nails was, like, my entryway. And I remember being really freaked out by it at first. I was oh. Like, oh, this is too intense. Well, I was also super Christian. But I was like, oh, this is <laughs> this is too intense. This is scary. It's freaking me out. I'm scared. Like, I can't listen to this. How funny. You by, never had that experience. No, by the time Nine Inch Nails came around, I was kind of, like, already so used to music right. like that. But what was your first, like, that you listened to and you're like, wow, this is dark. I, you know, it's funny because I'm not sure. I, I always had the impression that, and I, I've always had this with you, where you, like, will always make comments about music I listen to is, is darker than I think it is. Mm-hmm. But eventually I got to music that I knew was dark. Yeah. Um, I just got uh, introduced to stuff really early. Um, so, like, by the time I was, God, like, six or something, <laughs> um, my older sister was already playing me, like, the Cure and Susie and the Banshees because she was really into that, which is like the pop goth, right? Yeah. So that was already my like beginning, and I was already like, you know, just entered elementary school, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like listening to suicidal Cure music. <laughs> I wouldn't. I didn't even think of it that way. But right. it wasn't until uh, when I was a freshman in high school, um, being the the weirdo social outcast that I was at the time, Mm -hmm. I kind of went to the smoker's corner, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. where at the time there wasn't uh, enough of any subculture at the school. So it was like... Just a mix of all the weirdos. Yeah, it was like (laughs) a few goths, a few industrial people, like everyone wore black for the most part and everyone was smoking except for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they introduced me to basically like the whole... um, industrial difficult music mm-hmm. and that's when i first heard like nurse with wound and kurt 93 and coil and psychic tv and i got instantly obsessed mm. i loved it and that was kind of like my high school or early high school at least yeah a lot of that stuff comes in the later 80s i feel like i mean psychic tv started in 82 but... yes yo a lot of it is like mid to late 80s and yeah. i was listening to it later i mean it was like uh 90s i guess right but i kind of i feel like the kind of um industrial element of goth music would like get incorporated as the decade went on yeah and 
from it seemed like the goth and industrial kind of like merged at some point because mm-hmm. my few instances of ending up at goth clubs kind of felt like that yeah i was always very reluctant to go to the goth clubs because i wasn't really goth but i had like a friend at the time who was a goth dj mm-hmm. and was always trying to get me to come hang out <laughs> you're like deceptive though because you don't seem goth but you're actually like super occulty and witchy and goth <laughs> uh, i guess but i'm also like you know frothy light <laughs> i like the you know new age woo woo stuff too that's true <laughs> but that's also super witchy it's like the other end that's like go. the white magic part <laughs> <laughs> full spectrum yeah exactly i mean i also love camp too so mm. i go all over the place okay well we're gonna go to i guess one of your first goth bands that you listen to at six years old next yes but i wasn't listening to this yet i was listening to more of their poppy stuff at that time okay so their later later 80s not their early before rehab (laughs) pre-suicidal the cure did they really did he really go to rehab and that's what so this the reason i know this is because i did research on the album that came out in 82 right yeah Um, pornography and they recorded in a couple weeks and it was like a shit ton of drug use it was really gnarly he was super suicidal and then he went to rehab after they released the album they got rid of one of the band members and then they put out let's go to bed which as you know is like a huge shift in style yes so he went to rehab for like 30 days mind you but still that's still yeah that's a shift it's a shift it worked so that's what happened there you go (laughs) (laughs) this is this is before all that yes so this was like uh the beginning into the deep slide down dark down right this is part of what alienated critics but like grew their fan base i feel like yeah there's definitely like a hardcore uh what they call early cure Mm -hmm. fans which i'm definitely a part of yeah let's check it out this is holy hour from the album faith by the cure
That was the stunning track, The Spangle Maker, by Cocteau Twins. Before that, a Peel Session version of Strange Fruit by Cocteau Twins. And then two tracks by The Cure, a live version of The Drowning Man and Holy Hour. If you're just joining us, this is the 1982 show on BFF.FM, and I'm joined by special guest Gregory Kaplowitz today, who has provided us with a Halloween-themed playlist. Well, <laughs> A ish. goth playlist. Oh, uh, moody. Moody. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, Greg, did you know that BFF.FM is a nonprofit radio station in the Mission in San Francisco? I believe I did. Yeah. Um, we depend entirely on the generosity of our listeners, so... If you uh, want to keep this thing going, you can just uh, go to bff.fm slash donate. Give whatever you can. It's always helpful. We also have a monthly subscribers plan called Besties with um, a monthly free concert, ticket giveaways, lots of fun merch that you get. So you can get on that too or just, you know, one-time gift, whatever works for you. Back to the music. So why the Spangle Maker? Because... You know, for instance, their first album is really goth, but you strayed away from that. Well, only because I feel like you thoroughly explored that already in a previous show. And I know I could have played something from it, but I feel like you did it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that is definitely, to me, their most most goth moment. Um, But The Spangle Maker, I mean, it's just an epic classic. It really is. But they have so many, like... It's kind of insane, like, how many astoundingly beautiful tracks they managed to create in their career. Yes. Um, but I also felt if I went um, any further, um, time-wise past Spanglemaker, would start getting too pretty for the show. Yeah, too glittery. And, I mean, and there's so many amazing songs. Yeah. And then that really creepy version of Strange Fruit, which, you know, maybe one of the some of the darkest lyrics ever committed to record. Yeah, um, it's... As far as I know, it was never recorded for a studio, so it was only used for live performances, Mm -hmm. and the only recording, official recording, is from one of their Peel sessions. And of course, John Peel had the wherewithal to know that he needed to get that track down from them. Yeah, and such a great rendition. She really goes for it. As usual at that time. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but she especially goes for it at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) So what's up next? Um, Next is... A song that I recently found by an artist named A.C. Marias. Okay. Um, I don't really know much about her. Um, what I do know that it was released on uh, The Wires um, record label. Okay. Which was uh, Bruce Gilbert. Um, and I don't know. I kind of read there might be a rumor that they produced it, but I'm not quite sure about it. But so this is pretty obscure. It's It's pretty obscure. Though it, it has popped up in a, some of those top 100, like, uh, I don't know, dark pop lists okay. out there for, like, the 80s. I don't know. It, it popped up for me when I was doing a little research on it. Okay. So some people know about it. Well, let's check it out. I'm super curious about this. Well, here we go. <laughs>
Silver Malia, before that, The Need by CTI. Two tracks by Legendary Pink Dots, Black Zone and Tower 2. Black Moon by Psychic TV, and it all started off with So by AC Marias. Quite a range there. Yeah, I, I started off with some dramatics and then ended up with some kind of synthy synthy stuff. Let me ask you this, and is Legendary Pink Dots. How would you classify them? Oh, that's a hard one. Aren't they so weird? Um, <laughs> you know, they were definitely electronic, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely have goth-esque elements. They're psychedelic. They're experimental. Yeah. they're But it's also very dramatic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, they very much fit into that um, British tradition, I feel like, of like kind of, uh, deadpan humor, dark yeah. humor, yeah, with weird like pastoral elements, kind of making light of the hideous things they're saying. Yeah, I mean, he's also uh, I could say they parallel maybe like David Tibet and Kurt ninety three, totally. where it's experimental music with the lead person, lead singer is kind of like a poet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they have a giant range and they're still going strong. Hmm. yeah incredibly prolific as well yeah yeah they put out like multiple releases a year so ac marias and silver malia relatively new discoveries for you yes um the silver malia i actually found yesterday 
Um, I like that, uh, you know, I obviously I came to you because I know you have a deep knowledge of goth music and all kinds of electronic music and different things. Um, but I like that you weren't just like, okay, you know, I'm phoning this one in. I know exactly what to play for Halloween. You're like, oh, I'm going to actually like look around and see if I can enrich it for my, the experience for myself with some new different things that might be appropriate. Yeah, I'm always hunting for music. It's kind of like one of my pastimes. It's almost like my uh, what I do when I'm drinking coffee in the morning <laughs> before I can like deal with the world. I just like hunt around for music. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And you found some spoils recently, so hey. Yeah, the, the Savarmalia is interesting because it's from uh, this label called Telemusic, which I believe is a French library music label. So. I guess the assumption would be that it's music used for TV and film and stuff like that. But a lot of the library music is pretty great. Hard to imagine the practical application of that track. but I know. <laughs> but it did come out in 1980, so That's true. who knows? Very different. Um, so up next, we have a band called The Nightcrawlers. Yes. Um, Nightcrawlers are, is an interesting band. Um, they were very prolific in the early 80s. And the majority of their releases, they self-released on cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, and only really like hardcore people knew about them for a long time until a few years ago, um, a compilation came out called the... No, I don't remember. <laughs> but um, a really great compilation is how I first heard about them. And it's kind of like an overview of their releases. But they were very prolific. It must have been like... Yeah, album was looking a at their Discogs page. There's a ton of stuff. Yeah. And it's all like that weird cross-section at that time where um, 70s, like, space music meets kind of like the proto-New Age, but also elements of um, almost like John Carpenter-like hmm. uh, music, like soundtrack music. But it's very spacey. So this is kind of a tangent for uh, this episode because... It's not really scary, but I kind of wanted to go there. You couldn't resist. I couldn't. (laughs) All right, let's give it a listen. We're going to start off with a track called Animalia by the Nightcrawlers. Thank you. 
that was Tenebrae by Goblin from my personal favorite Dario Argento film, Tenebrae. Before that, two tracks by The Nightcrawlers. Yes. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week for the 1982 show on BFF.fm. And a very special thank you to our guest, Gregory, Gregory Kaplowitz. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> thank uh, you. For providing I like, us with this playlist. I like Gregory. <laughs> Gregory. I'm not used to saying your whole name. It's very fumbly for me. Yeah, it's not an easy one to say. <laughs> it looks great in print, though. <laughs> um, what are we going to finish off with today? Uh, I felt like I wanted to do twins. Uh tones on tail no i can't talk mm. tones on tail uh one of their later songs called lions um i kind of wanted to put it last because it's a great song but i felt like it didn't really fit with the rest of the program so i felt like a nice closer okay well thanks again let's get to it all right <laughs>